Valley. For more information, email freeoscarnow at gmail.com. And you are listening to 94.1 KPFA and 89.3 KPFB in Berkeley, 88.1 KFCF in Fresno, 97.5 K248BR in Santa Cruz and online at kpfa.org. The time is 3 p.m. Stay tuned next for Stone's Throw with Jennifer Stone. Happy ending, nice and tidy, it's a rule I learned in school. Get your money every Friday, happy endings are the rule, so divide up. In darkness from the ones who walk in light. Light them up, boys. There's your picture. Drop the shadows out of sight. This is Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw. Today is May the 30th, 2017. Yesterday was Memorial Day, the day we remember those who died for their country. Ceremonies commemorate the wars. Ah, the military might that tells us that war is peace. That an army is the priority for a state's survival. Right. (laughs) Get me an army. Right. The mass media shows the greatness of past wars. I watched CBS last night. Terrific films late, late, late at night. (laughs) Heartbreaking, suffering documentaries. Many young men... All those young bodies crushed and broken go over to the Presidio and look at those fields of white crosses. Ah, the Vietnam Monument, that wall in Washington, D.C., that is the, uh, the site, the uh, monument to the dead that is most often shown on the news. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm fascinated um, with that wall. Uh, I visited it back in 1989, and there was a guide, a retired soldier there. He told me the first casualty of the war, undeclared, but the war, very long war, actually, that was in the 1950s, he said, when a sniper killed a young man, soldier, I guess. Yes, a soldier. I think he said a soldier. Uh, one of the, oh, they were called, uh, they were called advisors. Right, that's what they were. <laughs> Military advisors. Uh, uh, he was showing a movie for the troops and it was, uh, dark, it was night, and when the soldier stood up to go and change the role of film, he made a perfect target. Yeah, right. Uh-huh. 
gentleman to God. He told me it was a Jeannie Crane movie. I think of the Vietnam Wall as very beautiful, artistically speaking. I think it suggests a grave because when you stand at the midpoint, the center of the wall, uh, it, it's that's where its highest point is. You know, it, uh, oh shoot, how do you describe? It's kind of like a triangle, uh, uh, very low at either end, and then it goes up to this point, and it cuts into the soil cuts down there you see so when you're in the midpoint you can reach up and try to touch the grass that's above above your head it grows just at the the top edge out of reach ah the guide showed me this statue of three men soldiers in battle gear it stands nearby thank goodness it doesn't detract from the wall uh, they wanted to put it right next to it anyway uh, that statue was put there because the conservative forces wanted some kind of heroic memorial in the old tradition, you know. The wall, I guess, was too thoughtful. Uh, you may remember the fuss about that. A, a young woman, uh, Chinese-American, right? Uh, she won a design contest and that kind of kind of confused people, you know, an Asian artist. Anyway, she has gone on to create many, many more public works, uh, works of art, memorials. There's a famous, uh, a famous one in, I think it's Los Angeles, the memorial to Martin Luther King. Anyway, in any case, Vietnam, to me, to many of us, marked the end of America's greatness, this great country, our greatness as a military state, World War II did seem to be part of a worldwide struggle. It did, you remember? I do think I remember. We thought we were struggling for democracy, make the world safe for democracy. I say nowadays, make it safe for satire, hindsight. Uh, cautions us to look again, look again back at the economic and political realities of that time. Virginia Woolf didn't believe any of that. She thought it was something in our psyche. Carl Jung's great waves of paranoia. Yes, he said that, what is it, uh, every about twice a century, I don't remember, but Carl Jung thought that you know, that peace was the trough of the wave and that the waves of violence came at regular intervals. Uh, anyway, surely, uh, surely we can look back at those days. I, I remember being down in La Jolla. There were many, many heroic individuals, all the young guys, the medics, the young men, who went out on the hospital ship with my father, and uh, many of them died uh, trying to help. Yes, trying to take care of the wounded. I think that those were great men. I don't think that that's the great Mr. Trump is talking about. Uh, last night, 
I watched for a few moments a 1957 film called The Enemy Below. It aired on uh, Turner Classic Movies. Uh, Kurt Jurgens played the Nazi. Robert Mitchum played the American. Kurt Jurgens, uh, Jurgens, is it? Yes, I think that's his. Yes. He played a submarine captain. Theodore Bickell was on his staff. Love Theodore Bickell. <laughs> anyway, they sang beer hall songs, and one youngster is shown reading Mein Kampf, and another is reading uh, comic books. That's the one on the other ship, the American ship. Well, actually, on the American ship, there's a... A sailor reading The Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire. Uh, the movies had more humor in 1957. Uh, Robert Mitchum, of course, saved the U-boat crew. Even while his own ship burned, he and Kurt Jurgens end the picture standing together. Warriors, Hollywood can romanticize anything. Ah, oh, well, the German filmmaker Wolfgang Peterson, 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 right, later made uh, a masterpiece uh, called Das Boot. It's a horrendous movie about one of the submarines, one of the thousands of U-boats that were lost by the Germans. Uh, it's an incredible body count, those submarines. Uh, in that movie, the Germans sang, It's a long way to Tipperary. Ah, delightful. Great, great. It's not a word that comes to mind when I think of uh, death underwater for America. For the United States, I mean, the dropping of the atomic bomb on Japan marks uh, the end of greatness, the end of illusions. Robert Oppenheimer, the father of the bomb, he called for more affection between governments when he realized what he had done. Affection is the word he used. Uh, after he watched the test out in the desert there, he said, I am become death, the destroyer of worlds. Quoting the Bhagavad Gita. Very grandiose, if you ask me. Oh, lots of stories about his pork pie hat, so forth. Uh, uh, oh, did he think he was doing scientific research, inventing the polio vaccine? I don't know what he thought. Anyway, for my generation, uh, Vietnam was the crucible. Uh, I lost my brother to that war. He did not die in the war, but after the war. Uh, was a quadriplegic and then, well... Ever since that war, it has been Nemesis. Nemesis came to uh, our state, the ancient goddess of retribution. We got our comeuppance backlash, I guess, but more, more just, um, just that, uh, we became something that we didn't, we didn't anticipate, uh, 
this year, <laughs> this year it all culminates in the arrival at the White House of the quintessential ugly American. <laughs> the statistic that stays with me over time is the body count. I, I just have a note here that I think it's so important. Uh, the dead in that war, that long war in Vietnam, uh, the Vietnamese citizens died in the millions, of course, but the American soldiers, that totaled 58,000, I'm sure that's not accurate, but about 58,000 deaths recorded. Uh, uh, and while they were there, the men, the soldiers, the sailors, the, let's see, my brother was a Navy SEAL, uh, they all got around and uh, they created 58,000 new lives, babies that is, babies, children born to Vietnamese women, that's 58,000 new babies. Some would say that was to replace the dead soldiers, but I try not to think that way. Uh, those children, their lives have been muted. Mothers' lives, of course, certainly, but the children, well, they, they were aliens, are aliens, perhaps still, in their mother's country. And those who made it to the United States have not done much better Many sad stories. Uh, now, yes, that's a tragedy that calls for reparations. Oh, 58,000 U.S. citizens. Yes. And 58,000 Amerasian children. Why don't we hear about that on CNN on Memorial Day? Memory, memory, so strange. This week I need to find a hero for my team. I really do. I always think of it as feminist versus fascist these days. Uh, hmm. Here, I found one. Check out Sally Yates. I brought an article here from the uh, current New Yorker, May 29th New Yorker. The political scene firing back how Sally Yates stood up to the president by Ryan Lisa L-I-Z-Z-A. Fabulous article. I think, I think, uh, this woman, she's 56, she's, what is it? I hope she's the future. They want her to run for, uh, governor, I guess, what is it? Georgia, Virginia? I don't, oh, yes. She was the federal prosecutor in Georgia for two decades. I don't know. Uh, she has an apartment in Atlanta. Anyway, uh, <clears throat> uh, as you know, uh, on the 30th of January this year, Sally Yates, the acting U.S. Attorney General, refused to defend uh, the president's order, saying that she was not convinced that it was lawful. Trump reacted with a fury not seen in the White House since the Nixon era. <laughs> anyway, uh, 
let's see. Who did they? I forget. I forget. Uh, it's in here somewhere. Uh, well, look it up. The new guy uh, or the new woman. I don't know who's the new one. Uh, I'm sure we have an attorney general somewhere. <laughs> anyway, uh, uh, Sally Yates was the choice of President Obama. Uh, he also, let's see, he made her a, a U.S. attorney. And then he made her the deputy attorney general. And uh, there was some indication she thought that she might remain, but I guess she understood that uh, she would be replaced. Uh, after her dismissal, she went home to Georgia. And uh, then after three months, they wanted her to appear before a Senate Judiciary Subcommittee about those 10 days in the Trump administration when all hell broke loose. Now, she testified about the travel ban and the, well, God, throw in the potentially criminal conduct of General Michael Flynn. Oh, I can't go through all that stuff. If you want to check up on all the machinations get this article from uh, May the 29th in the New Yorker all about Sally Yates uh, yes indeed a uh, curious choice to be a hero of the left uh, things are getting curiouser and curiouser uh, uh Oh, dear, 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 yes. Uh, here it says here, she says that she remembers it all vividly. They came to the door of my office and a senior Trump appointee in the Justice Department handed her a letter that said, I'm informing you that the president has removed you from the office of Deputy Attorney General of the United States. Now, a few minutes later, the White House press secretary, Sean Spicer, you know him. He issued a corrosive statement regarding the action. Quote, Ms. Yates is an Obama administration appointee who is weak on borders and very weak on illegal immigration. It's time to get serious about protecting our country. The article goes on to describe the incredible amount of work this woman has done for the nation uh, 27 years in the Justice Department. And there's a lot of good stuff that's fun to read about her achievements uh, as a prosecutor and uh, as an administrator. Uh, let's see what's the best stuff. Well, there's personal stuff, you know, back in 1986. Her father had committed suicide. He was suffering from a depression, and she told the author of this article, Sally Yates, told the author here, she said, tragically, the fear of stigma then associated with depression prevented him from getting the treatment he needed. Uh, same old, same old. Uh, anyway, <laughs> when she came up against uh, Ted Cruz, it was pretty funny that uh, that c 
committee, that Senate committee, uh, aha, she, she says to Cruz, she says, I'm familiar with, uh, provision of the Immigration and Nationality Act that says, no person shall receive preference or be discriminated against an issuance of a visa because of race, nationality, or place of birth. <laughs> she added that beyond the text of the statute, she had to judge whether Trump's executive order was in violation of the Constitution. A video clip of Yates' retort became a social media sensation. Uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, she has become a hero to the Trump opposition, of course. Uh, and, let's see, her daughter informs her that after her Senate appearance, many young women and plenty of men made Yates their social media avatar. That's fun. Anyway, this lady was born into a family of public servants and lawyers and uh, judges. Uh, very, very American. Funny stories about her uh, ancestors. <laughs> yes. Her paternal grandmother. This is a hoot, yes. Uh, anyway. She talks about the mentors she had. Uh, let's see. She worked for Griffin Bell, Jimmy Carter's attorney general. He's a family friend and, and a mentor, yes. She told the author of this article that Bell had a strong moral compass. He was very clear about keeping the Justice Department separate from other parts of government particularly the White House. Now, apparently it's very hard for uh, D.J. Trump and a lot of people to understand that the president is not the boss. He is not in charge. Although he seems to have been taking people out to dinner and asking for loyalty. Oh, it's very weird. Uh, uh, dear, dear me. Anyway, I think that is enough. Check out Sally Yates, and I bet you she does think about being the governor. Uh, let's see. Uh, at the end of the article, she does kind of says, well, she does not want to leave public life. She really doesn't, and she just doesn't know where she's going to fit in next Uh the best thing that I noticed in this long list of her achievements, well, what I liked is during the final two years of the Obama administration, the president wanted to work through an enormous backlog of commutation requests. Sally Yates was his primary contact. Uh, what he was doing, of course, was trying to... Uh, well, he's looking at the efforts, uh, the efforts to reduce sentencing for nonviolent drug offenders. And in conjunction with that, he looked to Sally to help him review these 
sentences and recommendations were sent over to the White House counsel. Uh, Yates spent hours on the phone with Obama. He eventually commuted more than a thousand sentences. Uh, Several Obama administration officials said that by the end of Obama's second term, Yates was effectively running the Justice Department. Uh, apparently, Obama was not as sympathetic with Loretta Lynn, uh, I guess. I guess, I guess it's politics, folks. It's politics. <laughs> I wish I have so many things here to tell you, and I just can't take it anymore just can't take it anymore i i think what i'll do is i'll just i'll just jump in here jump in here with a poem that seemed to me to suit my mood yesterday ah it's a poem by a poet who won the nobel prize for literature in 1996 her name is wislawa I'm sure I mispronounced that. Zimborska. Oh, boy. It's called Children of the Epoch. Yes, Poland. Born 1923. Golly, golly. Uh, a whole bunch of credits in Polish literature and sociology. Poetry editors of the magazines. Many coveted awards. Uh, Sixteen collections of poems. Anyway, this Polish poet writes, uh, We are the children of the epoch. The epoch is political. All my daily and nightly affairs, all your daily and nightly affairs, are political affairs, whether you want it or not. Your genes have a political past. Your skin, a political tone. Your eyes, a political color. What you say resounds. What you don't say is also politically significant. Even coming through the rye, you walk with political steps on political ground. Apolitical poems are also political. And in the sky, there is a moon that is no longer moon-like. To be or not to be, that is a question. Oh, darling, what a question. Give a suggestion. A political question. You don't have to be human to acquire a political meaning. <clears throat> it's enough. To be petroleum, cattle fodder, raw material, or just a conference table whose shape was disputed for months. In the meantime, people were killed. Animals died. Houses burned. Fields grew wild as in distant and less political epochs. Fascinating, fascinating lady. Nobel uh, Prize for Literature, 1996. Fascinating stuff. I think that I have just a few moments left to read Maxine Coleman's poem, or parts of it. 
She was born 1925. You know her. She's a pal of Ann Sexton's. Anyway, uh, K-U-M-I-N. Look up her poems. Okay, I have run out of time. Oh, gosh. Look up Maxine in a book called Women on War, an International Anthology of Writings from Antiquity to the Present, edited with an introduction by Daniela Giuseppe. So many wonderful poems. Martha Gellhorn, Hemingway's ex. She has a wonderful essay in here. And Edna St. Vincent Millay. So many women have things to say about the nature of violence. This has been Jennifer Stone. Be back on the air next Tuesday. Till then, go easy. And if you can't go easy, go as easy as you can. Mendez International Counseling Center invites you to the second annual Passion Africa Fashion Show. This show takes place on Friday, June 9th from 7.30 to 9.30 p.m. at Berkeley Technology Academy, 2701 Martin Luther King Jr. Way in Berkeley. The event is wheelchair accessible and is a benefit for Homeless Youth Outreach Project in Cameroon, West Africa. All proceeds from the fashion show will directly benefit Homeless Youth Outreach Project, a program sponsored by Intercity Services, Inc. For more information, call 408-841-0215. Again, that's 408-841-0215.